Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. Today is December 10th, 2021. We're almost at the end of the year, and man, it is hard to believe that another year has gone by. Wow, this this year, some points of it just drug on so slow. Uh, other parts just drug on, it just, it just went so fast. So I just got back from another trip uh, to my office over in central Kentucky, and I'm back, and uh haven't done a podcast in a week, and I've only got about five more to do to hit that magic 100 episodes. So I'm going to be cramming that in over the next uh, three weeks, probably, uh, right up until right up until New Year's. Might even do a New Year's Eve show. Who, who the heck knows? That sounds like a lot of fun. Actually, maybe I'll see if I can have a couple of guests and uh, figure out, if, if I can figure out, how to actually record a live episode. Now, that'd be kind of fun on New Year's Eve couple of drinks in me, waiting on those midnight calls from friends and family, you know, it's kind of, kind of fun. But, you know, we're one day closer to Christmas, and uh, I said I'd finish my Christmas shopping, but I did some last-minute stuff, and I have to go actually out and uh, drop a package in the mail today. It's already 11.30 in the morning, and uh, I'll get to that in just a bit, but I was kind of wondering, you know, it's so many Christmas movies that are on. Hallmark is just 24-7, non-stop Christmas movies. Don't really get into those, but uh, I did watch Christmas Vacation the other night. I love that movie. Love that freaking movie. Uh, one of my favorites. Actually, I think, um, was it my sister who said she ordered a shirt that said Griswold Family Christmas or something on it? Um, anyway, I can't wait to see that. That's kind of fun. However, I was just kind of curious with all the Christmas songs that are on the radio. I heard all the way back. What are the top five most listened to songs on Amazon Music? So I just just pulled them up and here are the top five Christmas songs. Actually, let me do the top ten. Number ten is Christmas Tree Farm, the old-timey version by Taylor Swift. Never heard it. Uh, Run, Rudolph, Run by Chuck Berry came in at number nine. Great song. I really like that one. Last Christmas by Wham. Now, we're really going back to the 80s there. Uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Michael Buble. That came in at number seven. Uh, One of my favorite ones of all time, The Christmas Song, Merry Christmas to You by Nat King Cole. That is a great, great song. Um, I love that song. White Christmas uh, featuring Ken Darby Singers and John Scott Trotter. Uh, This is the uh, Bing Crosby version. And uh, that's that's a good song. Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms came in at number four. Uh, Here's a classic. Burl Ives, number three. A Holly Jolly Christmas. Here's what's surprising. As sick as everyone gets of Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas Is You is the number two most listened to Christmas song on Amazon Music. It's kind of shocking. Um, However, what is not shocking is what came in at number one, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. Uh, You know, you hear that on the radio all the time. That's a really good song. Um, So I've listened to a little bit of Christmas music. I'm not really a big Christmas music guy, but, um, but I do like some of the funny movies and that are, that are related to Christmas and uh, Die Hard, whether you like it or not, is a Christmas movie. 
Sorry, folks. I'm, I'm falling on that side this week. So, um, so actually, for this show, I wanted to kind of do a short show. Uh, I'm, last show, I actually read a short story, Elvis Ain't Dead, Baby, Long Live the King, right? So I read that. That was a short story I wrote for um, an anthology with the local authors guild. So actually, I was asked last year they were going to do another anthology and publish it in 2021. So they asked if I would write another story, and I did. And you have to keep within a certain parameter, you know, a certain number of words. So you can fit a lot of writers into, into one book. So I wrote one called South Holston Blues. Funny story. Uh, again, it's a short, short story. Um, I want to read that in just a bit. But actually, before I get to that, I've been asked this question a lot lately based off of other, when I kind of get into the cultural war and uh, talk a little bit about that and get a little into the cultural and political weeds. Um, you know, a question actually came up earlier this week, and I've had a few people ask me, what do I mean by cultural communism? The, but I've had a couple of people say they really like that term. I've been using that term for a long time now. And they, they've asked, you know, can I, can I elaborate a little bit on that? And, and uh, so I really have kind of avoided it, but I'm going to kind of, for just a handful of minutes, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to talk, I'm just going to kind of explain to you what I mean by cultural communism and how communism as a political theory, as written by Marx and Engels, uh, and actually pushed forward through other books by, in more recent times, by uh, people like Saul Alinsky and Rules for Radicals. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about how they push communism into the culture and what the purpose of it is. But I'm going to go back a little bit into history. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to go back to the Bolshevik Revolution. What happened in Russia before Russia was overthrown by the communists and the czars were ran out? And we've all heard the story of Anastasia and, uh, and, and the czar Nicholas. And, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened in the culture there and how Russia became the USSR. And how and you can use the same principles to see how China became, you know, under the control of the Chinese Communist Party. Things that happened in Cuba, things that are happening in parts of South America now. And what's happening, I hate to say it, in places like Austria and Australia, um, you, and, you know, they use any tactic necessary to confuse, subvert, and clash the culture. And there's a purpose for that. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and then I'm going to read this funny short story. But uh, earlier this week, uh, I was working on another writing project with a person I'm collaborating with. and He was talking about he went to see this James Bond movie, the, the last one, and I asked if I'd seen it yet. And I'm a big James Bond fan. I haven't seen it. I heard they killed the character off. He didn't want to give me any spoilers, but he just said, you know, using the term they as in, I suppose, the influencers in the culture, the movie makers, the music makers, whatever. Are they out to kill all of our heroes? And then I use that term, yes, absolutely yes, because that is a what I call cultural communism, and there's a purpose to it. And, you know, if you take a look at what's happening when it comes to destroying a culture's heroes and why some people would do it, just take a look no, no further than right here in our country, tearing all the statues down because someone doesn't agree with it. I think statues should be left up, regardless of who they are, because they're learning experiences. They're, 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 they're teaching moments for people, the good, the bad, and the ugly of our history. And not only have they gone after controversial figures like Civil War generals and, and, and people near that era, but, but, you know, you've seen people tear down statues of people that are absolutely benevolent, that, that worked for, you know, against slavery and for freedom. Um, people who were, you know, educators. And, you know, it, it, it's just almost like they're going after everybody. Hey, let's get a little bit more personal. Let's talk about some of our comic book heroes. I don't know if you've heard, but in the latest issues of Superman, uh, apparently Superman now has, you know, kind of, Cross the Rubicon of not liking Lois Lane so much, and he's kissing dudes. I'm just going to throw it out there just like that. That is in the comic books now. 
So why change a character that we've had that's, you know, all about, you know, you know, the American way and, you know, kind of a wholesome character to suddenly changing, you know, in, in like these days to be something totally different than what he was. And the question was, like, they've killed off Bond. You see this with Superman. You see this with all kinds of stuff. I'm just, I mean, this has been going on for, you know, a long time, changing um, you know, attacking the you know, moral code or moral values of the majority of the people. I don't think people care one way or the other about you know that particular issue with Superman. But it's but why change? So why go after all the heroes and and things like that? And now I'm not a big superhero guy. I don't really watch a lot of the superhero movies. Um, but you just hear banter about how how the you know the culture, even the characters, have became more left leaning. Okay, I mean, I don't read it anyway, but okay. But all that aside, I want to read to you just a little bit. I'm going through this, the Bolshevik Revolution that happened to you know to overthrow Russia from the czars. The six phases of from that goes from freedom to a communist misery. And as I go through this, think about it. I mean, just think about it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. It's okay. You don't have to agree with me. We're, we're all adults here, right? Some of us, most of us. <laughs> Hopefully, at least we sort of, at least act civil about it. Um, but you can tell me if any of these sound familiar. Um, and there's a lot of overlap in these phases. And um, just to re-familiarize myself, actually, I went and bought a copy of the Communist Manifesto from a Kindle and started rereading through some of that just because it's been a long time since I've read it. It's not terribly long. But it is very depressing. <laughs> so I'd give you a heads up on that. And, you know, there's you can focus on the economic aspect of it, which, let's face it, if communists started talking about the, you know, the economics, well, the eyes are going to glaze over. It's just not really the way we do business in America. But, you know, you go after in phases, and this is what they did, and had to get to overthrow Russia. Um, so listen, here's here's... Um, this was an article written by uh, Stella Morbido, and I'm just kind of referring to this. I'm just going to paraphrase some of this stuff, but um, you can go look it up. It's called The Bolshevik Revolution, reveals six phases from freedom to communist misery. A hundred years on from the Bolshevik Revolution, we do well to study the stages and trends that put free societies on a path to totalitarianism. And I would I would wager an argument that we have people that are in leadership in corporate America, and then yes, people in our own Democrat and Republican parties that are totalitarians. Okay, so it's you know if you could explain to me what's worse, if you can really tell me what's worse, left wing totalitarianism or right wing totalitarianism, I'll give you a cupcake because they neither sound very good to me. Scarcity, terror and mass murder of more than 100 million victims. That's what communism has contributed to human history. Think about that, 100 million victims. Um, so we go back to the Bolshevik Revolution, which I get started on November 7th, you know, I guess back in, uh, well, I guess 100 years ago from the time this article was written. Communism is a, was a fount of just human misery and death. And you can find that in any country where they've tried to work this. And most people today don't really understand what that system of so-called government is all about. They just think it's cool to lean to the left. I mean, far to left. I'm not talking about my liberal friend, my traditional liberal friends, but I mean, way out there. Okay. AOC out there. Uh, in a nutshell, communism enforces a a privileged elite to the centralization of power. All right, what that means is you put too much power in the hands of a few two people. They're your new elite. Sound familiar? They tend to weasel their way into power, and a lot of times they're agitators using their talking points. And the talking points that was used back during that time, justice, equality, and uh, they promote this false illusion that the public supports them in, in large mass, even when the public doesn't. 
So yes, they have control of media outlets. And that's what they did to show a false illusion of public support, uh, even back then. So how would it ever be possible for some place like America to fall to that kind of lunacy? So we've spent way too little time, and I think in our media and even even conservative talk radio, uh, even talk radio and, and talk shows on television that are more moderate, they don't dissect any of this. They don't really go into understanding the process. So there's really six stages, according to, to this, that lead into that dangerous direction. And uh, within each phase, a lot of trends will take hold. And you, a lot of these will overlap. So here are the six phases. One is laying the groundwork. All right. Two is propaganda. Three is agitation. Four is a state takeover of society's institutions. We might already be there. Five, I know we're in a little bit too, coercing conformity. And then, of course, you move into the final stages. But let's let's jump back into, you know, let's, let's look at a little bit more what it really means for human beings, okay? You know, you've heard this power, this phrase, power kills, absolute power kills, absolutely. But we've always heard it with like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, or you know, or absolute power corrupts absolutely. So anyway, you can find all kinds of books that'll examine ideologically, historically, economically, all all of communism and socialism. It always amounts to a bait and switch scheme that's really hatched by a bunch of totalitarians and egomaniacs who want to dictate to everybody. You find these people far on the far left and some on the far right all over social media to dictate to everybody. Why? Because it's all about consolidating the power to a tiny elite. And Vladimir Lenin's words, the vanguard. And they claim these are the people, the vanguard, the elite, the, the, the noble. They, they claim to promote equality and justice and blah, 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 whatever. But once communism gets a foot in the door, and you don't get with their program, then you have, you know, basically you're going to be ruined in a variety of forms. Death, right? Economic death. Um, let's see what's happening right now in Austria. Okay? And don't think this is, we're about six months behind this here in America. What's happening in Austria and Australia, not in Australia, well, it's getting pretty bad in Australia, but in Austria right now, as I watched something this very morning on the news, that they're lifting their uh, stay-at-home mandates, lockdowns, on everybody that's been vaccinated. And if you have not been vaccinated, you are to stay in quarantine and lockdown. Now, starting in a couple of months, I think in the new year, for every month that you, or every, every three months that you go without being vaccinated, they're going to fine each person, uh, I think it's like 3,600 euros, which is the equivalent of 4,000 American dollars. Now, they're putting it out in their news in dollars, not euros, which is what they pay. They're telling everybody $4,000. Well, why are they saying dollars and not euros? Because, they, you know, that's their currency. Well, the more we repeat it over here, $4,000, $4,000. That's a kind of a global minimum fine okay so they want everything in dollars so that is eventually coming here with the, i mean when i heard it put in dollars i'm like okay that's coming they're, they're saying dollars for a reason because that's coming here mark my you know um don't mark my words but i hope it doesn't but it, somebody's going to try it whether that we comply with it or not so basically um you know if the, if, if the average income i think the average income they said over there was like for 48 like 48 to 52,000 euros, right? So basically that amounts to like 40% of your income after taxes. So just for not getting the vaccine. Whether you've been sick or not doesn't matter. So there's for so that's economic death. Social death, you're already being canceled out on social media. You're not allowed to get your voice heard out there. And then literal death, how many people are going to be so depressed, so poor they commit suicide? 
or eventually it goes to the point like they did under the Bolshevik Revolution after they got everybody that was going to comply, that was going to comply. The rest of them like, well, we can't reform them. And then the gulags were invented and hundreds of thousands were just sent off to prison and disappeared. Okay. So that's, that's what's happening over in Austria right now. Um, so, yeah, but anytime you get that much concentration of power, it's predictable whenever you put too much power in the hands of too few people. And that's why we should always, always firmly oppose any system, any political group or any political party that demands a consolidation of centralization of power. I love the way our Constitution works. It breaks it up federally, state, local, and then even local down to more local. you, know, you got to wonder how many levels of government do we need, but then maybe there's a reason for that. And uh, the Constitution wasn't written as the laws you know, to tell people what they can and can't do. It was written to tell governments what they can and can't do. Right, it was there to restrict them, not you listening to the show. Now, being free means understanding your rights and understanding what, what you do infringes on other people's rights. So, you know, it's, we don't need to go back and have that, have that discussion. But, you know, keep in mind that that was the purpose of our Constitution. Although communist and socialist governments literally murdered well more than 100 million people just in the 20th century, that number even goes up when you include, like, uh, bedfellows of communism, like Nazism, fascism, for example. Um, there was a uh, guy by the name of uh, Professor R.J. Rummel who wrote this book called Death by Government. And he said that uh, totalitarian regimes snuffed out approximately 169 million lives in the 20th century alone. That number is four times higher than the 38 million deaths, civilian as well as military, caused by all the wars combined in the 20th century. And he goes on to state, power kills, absolute power kills, absolutely. So that's a common thread that runs through communist and fascist ideologies and others that are of a totalitarian nature, which means that people control by breeding scarcity, ignorance, human misery, social distrust, and the constant threat of social isolation and death to dissenters, all in the name of justice and equality. Well, how do we get there? Well, we're canceling people out on social media if you don't agree with the narrative. There should be healthy debate and discussion on everything. Not, I mean, whether it's the pandemic, you know, freedom of speech means protecting free speech that's not popular. And that's important, you know, it's vital in our in our culture because we're not using it now. We're, we're letting totalitarians in the form of corporations start controlling our speech and what can be heard and what cannot be heard. And I find that more dangerous than any virus going around. Uh, I certainly do. Um, but anyway, they do this all in the name of justice and equality. That was, you know, just like they did during the Bolshevik Revolution. So if you take a look at Vladimir Lenin, uh, his his legacy is just blood-soaked. Um, it's... It should astonish us and just like make us cringe to realize that the obsessions of a few crazy, crazy revolutionaries can, can blue pill whole populations of peaceful citizens. But it's all a matter of conjuring up illusions and mass delusions, no matter what the brand of totalitarianism is. Uh, Lenin was just as much a, a fiery orator of propaganda as Hitler was. So to achieve power, Lenin focused on just building up a class war. And Hitler, you know, he did a different tactic. He set his sights on a race war. So either way, the divide and conquer modus operandi of fascists and communists, pretty much the same, no matter which side you think, you know, might claim is right about the other. You know, it's, I mean, they both claim so many different things about each other, but they're both just as dangerous. The, and, and I've mentioned this, this is topic before divide and conquer. That is what the establishment and people in charge of, you know, steering our culture that have that power to do. That's what they're doing. 
Um, now the propaganda content may differ, but not the divide and conquer. That method is out there. It's always been there, and it's probably always going to be there. And you know, people that have an attitude of supremacy, uh, supremacy, it comes in a wide variety of people. People on the far right, people sometimes in the center, people on the left right now are like just that control the narrative on social media and and mostly the news. Yeah, that attitude of supremacy. Like, hey, we're smarter and better than you. You, you know, go do what you're told. Um, that is that is part of that propaganda machine. Now, Saul Alinsky, the guy who wrote uh, Rules for Radicals, um, you know, I mean, he illustrated really perfectly. The, the goal of all such radicals, he said, was to seize power by fueling resentment and hatred among people through various forms of consciousness, particularly class and race. And that's what identity politics is all about. And that's what the you know division of the key that's you know that that's a that's a main tool that totalitarians use to break the will of people. Right? We saw it happen in Germany, we saw it happen in Russia under the Bolshevik Revolution. Anyway, once all these organizations that buy into this, you know, it could be public and private organizations that buy into this propaganda. Uh, identity politics, and there are countless numbers of them out in this country. Once their organizations breed enough ill will among people, the masses, us, and sometimes, you know, they, they, they go after mostly alienated people, they can then be baited and mobilized to do whatever the power elites want, right? So, you know, when you take a look at most of today's enlisted rioters, let's say, um, so most of today's writers, they, you know, they, groups that call themselves things like indivisible or anti-fascist, you know, or, uh, stop the patriarchy or refuse fascism or move on.org. They're, they're pretty much unabashedly communist or just plain fascist. I mean, there's a couple of, a couple of, uh, radical groups that go out and, you know, anytime there's a riot. They're burning and looting and doing everything anyway, and their leadership actually, uh, you know, are are literal communists. They belong to the Communist Party um, here in America. They've they've not even hit it, you know, that their leadership is communist and pro communism. The chairman of the Revolutionary Communist Party of the USA, um, he founded a group called Refuse Fascism, which is you know again just another totalitarian wing you know it's a pro-violence group that plans you know street theater and you know and, and violence with the stated goal of overturning the 2060 uh, 2016 election so you have these groups that were out there long before anybody said anybody was trying to overturn 2020 there was a group out there in 2016 led by the chairman of the of that particular party revolutionary communist party who founded Refute Fascism as a pro, and, you know, again, using uh, pro-violence. So um, it's just a matter, you don't hear about that in the media, but that is that that actually happened. Don't take my word for it. Go look it up. And, uh, you know, so that's just a matter of what the media wants you to know. And I think the media has bought into this, you know, the left side of fascism and, and uh, communism. Um, I look at, and, the, and one of the things I say, the reasons I say that, is it's not so much the news I'm being told, it's the spin on the news and what I'm not being told. And that is a very frustrating thing for me when it comes to not just national news, why I kind of avoid mainstream media, but even my local news to, to some degree. Anyway, if you're a student of history, you can you can see this is an old movie, right? Um, just mobs of alienated, disaffected people and being exploited and mobilized by people pulling strings and you know, unfortunately, you know, yeah, few Americans today, especially younger generations, are more susceptible to this. Um, and they need to be a little bit more studious of what history is. Fortunately, also, some of the people who are the most stringent students of history are also in that younger generation. So I don't think we give 
And it's one thing to shit on millennials all the time, but I don't think we give enough credit because there's there's a certain faction of them. They're just not really given a voice. Some have a voice. Um, a lot don't. Certain sports figures, for example, not naming names, claim to be saying they're using their First Amendment rights by showing hostility toward the American flag here in the national anthem. And some of that is based on a superficial understanding of history. Now, when that argument came out, I'm, I'm not going to get into all that, but you know, I, I wanted to listen to find out what the other side was. And you, know, you could kind of come to some understanding, but again, on that side of the argument, it was so harsh that if you didn't bow down, you know, take a knee, or take a knee to any particular group, then you were the enemy. They did not bend. They expected everyone else to. And but they don't realize that the net effect of their action is to show hostility against the freedoms guaranteed by the First Amendment, for which that flag stands. Right. So perhaps they don't understand how the actions are are easily exploited by those who want to divide everyone, including them. Of and, and they want to deny everyone of those those very freedoms of expression. So they're kind of pushing that agenda. I think a lot of people with puppet strings and not realizing what they're doing in the end. Um, and I think, you know, we've seen that we've seen that play out under Germany, right? So without freedom of expression, we all just kind of become slaves to tyranny. Sad, but true. People using freedom to destroy freedom is a very old tactic that goes all the way back to the Bolshevik revolution. And uh, so anyway, there's six phases to this. I'm not going to get into too much more of this because this is a little bit, a little bit longer, but um, maybe I'll get into those particular six phases down the road. But you can you can look up this lady's work and, and read it for yourself. Um, her name is Stella Morbido, and it's called the Bolshevik Revolution reveals six phases from freedom to communist misery. And if you read that, uh, you're going to see some very familiar things happening in our culture and our society right now. We're pretty far into those six phases. But let's do something a little bit more fun, shall we? By the way, I've had this song stuck in my head from the 80s. Remember uh, T'Pau, um, Heart and Soul? That's a great song. Hey, if there's any folks on here that love the 80s music, there's a Facebook page I run called The Ultimate 80s. It's kind of fun. I put 80s videos up from like, TV, music, movies, blah, whatever. Maybe let's do some 80s trivia. I've been threatening to do an 80s show on here, and maybe maybe I'll do that soon. But without any further ado, let's, let's go into the South Holston Blues. Actually, when I wrote this story, I kind of had my brother-in-law in mind because you know, just uh, so he would he he read a lot of my stuff, and unfortunately, he passed earlier this year uh, to uh, to COVID and pneumonia. Um, but he he used to read these stories and they go on road trips. And he would have my sister read my short stories out loud. He'd just laugh and laugh. So I was so glad I had him as a supporter for some of the ridiculous garbage that I write. But I wrote this book, actually. I, th I thought, you know what, I've had this or this story. I had him in mind. Because uh, I, I just knew if he'd read if he read this, he would probably laugh. So, Nick, this is for you, buddy. This is called South Holston Blues. Old Man Stan and Preacher Kyle from over at the Free Will Baptist Church the one at the corner of Elm and Front Street, stood in the window of the barbershop with a puzzled and curious look plastered on both of their faces. Stan hadn't even bothered to turn off the buzzing razor, probably because it was perfect cover for his shaky hand. He was a ripe old age of 81, but refused to retire and close up the barbershop he'd built from scratch when he got back from Vietnam. He'd cut hair all over the world. He even bragged that he'd shaved a few heads at a hairy battle during the Tet Offensive back in 1968. He even claimed to have seen a UFO during his rowdy years after he got out of the Army. He'd seen all kinds of strangeness. But Baker Mitchell took the cake. He was the oddest bird in town, and it wasn't even a close contest. What the... the old barber trailed off. Beats the heck out of me. Kyle couldn't figure out what Mitchell was doing in the middle of the mostly empty parking lot. The Taylor's Hardware wearing cowboy boots white shorts, and a pink bathroom. Nor could he guess what in the devil he was arguing with the town drunk about. Mitchell stabbed a finger in the man's face and swiped the bourbon bottle from his hand, 
took a long draw and handed it back to him. The look of confusion on the drunk's face was every bit as sincere as the one Stan was wearing. Oh, Lord, whisper a prayer, Reverend. He's coming over here, Stan said. Probably best you get back in the chair and let me finish shaving you. If we look busy, he might not stay long. Besides, you look a bit silly with half your face clean-shaven and the other half covered in lather. Preacher Kyle leaned back into the barber chair. Proceed, sir, he said, changing his accent to quote a line from one of his favorite movies. You know how they tell you never trust a guy with two first names, kind of like Jack Ruby? How did he come by the name Baker Mitchell? A question like that was right up the old, bar right up the old barber's alley. He'd likely heard every secret this town ever had from all the gossiping men that often loitered in his shop, and that was more than a few. He grew up thinking that women were the worst gossips. After he opened his barber shop all those years ago, he quickly realized how wrong he was. As it turned out, Baker Mitchell, although born of an unwed mother, was named for his father. Poor Sally Mitchell had a one-night stand only one of many in her more spry years, as the gossip goes. She named him Baker after the man who, fa who fathered the sorry son of a gun. She would have picked a more suitable name for her only child, but she couldn't remember the man's first name. So he was stuck with his last name, as best she could recollect. Well, glory be to God, if it ain't Preacher Kyle, Mitchell, squ Mitchell squawked the moment he laid eyes on the lathered-up man of God laying back in the barber chair. Well, am I glad to see you. You need to put an SOS out in the church and say a prayer for me, fella. I haven't been this worried and worked up since my ex-wife put me in the hospital. Mitchell, if I recall correctly, you were trying to cheat on that sweet lady with the widow at the other end of the trailer park, and she got fed up with your antics. Don't go asking for sympathy because she beat you up for it, the old barber lit into him. For the record, I never laid a hand on her. I don't care what the old tattletales that come in here have to say about me. Mitchell growled. Nobody ever said you did, Mitchell. I doubt you could have landed a punch. You ain't exactly what anybody would call a tough guy around here. You weigh a buck fifty ringing wet, if that. Besides, she outweighed you by a hundred pounds or more. You never stood a chance. Hey, enough of this small talk, old man, Mitchell said as he brushed his mullet back behind his shoulders. Can you help me, preacher? I'm flustered and I need to get word out. My tin can bass boat is missing, and I've arranged a party of sorts down at the lake on the water tomorrow. Wouldn't be right if I didn't make it. I need to get there. I'm depressed as hell, pardon the language, preacher. I'll break my, it'll break my heart if I don't make it, but I need to find my boat. That boat is a public health hazard, son. Where'd you leave it? <clears throat> preacher Kyle asked. Leave it? I didn't leave it anywhere. I had it tied to my front porch, and now it's gone. Someone stole it. Did anyone come in and confess to it? Confess? Mitchell, I'm a reverend at the Baptist church. I'm not Catholic. No one comes in here for confession unless they're just racked with guilt and need some advice. They do all their confessing at the altar on their knees. And that's where you ought to be at least once in a while. And don't call it a porch, son. The barber tossed that in for good measure. You barely got room for two skinny people on that stand. To stand on that thing. It's more like a rickety old set of steps leading up to your trailer door. Well, y'all heard about the bash at the lake tomorrow night, or tomorrow, right? Mitchell asked. Yes, I heard about it, the old man said as he waved his razor around in dramatic fashion. One of your trailer park brethren over at Rimmer Trailer Court came in here smelling like Pap's Blue Ribbon and blathering on something fierce about hauling in some smallmouth, caught it the Great White Trash Bash or something. Said he was going to win a gift card to Bass Pro Shop with the, with the biggest fish. Some party honoring some guy named Rusty. Probably another guy out in that trailer park of yours. Drank himself to death into the hereafter. Preacher Kyle's right, Mitchell. Get your skinny legs to stepping over to the church and get on your knees, and you'll, or you'll end up just like Rusty. Drunk and dead. <clears throat> Mitchell stood quietly, gently shaking. Hot tears streaming down his cheeks. He looked like he wanted to say something, but he couldn't get the words out. What's the matter with you, Mitchell? Preacher barked, clearly annoyed. Rusty was my dog. It took me three weeks of beer cans to raise that 25 bucks for the gift card to give away in his memory. 
Mitchell straightened up his shorts, turned around, and marched out of the barbershop with the weight of the world and his dead dog on his shoulders. Mitchell leaned back on the park bench with a cup of coffee and a day-old chili dog from the gas station deli. He figured it wouldn't be long after he crammed it down his pie hole before he started before it started settling on his stomach in the worst kind of way and barking back at him. He always stayed close to the gas station until the indigestion played its course. Better to wreck their toilet than deal with the issue back at his trailer with the windows open. Man's castle wasn't meant for that kind of disruption. He finished what was left of the strong decaf coffee, belched something fierce, and tossed his trash in the can beside him. That's when Mabel from the library flung open the window, leaned out, and shouted for him to put his mask back on. We got this pandemic going on, you moron. Mitchell pulled the soiled cloth back over his greasy mug and cursed under his breath, the nosy old woman. Mabel was a notorious town gossip and poked her nose in everybody's affairs every chance she got. However, he wasn't in the mood to argue with her, so he tossed up his hand and muzzled himself. Probably wouldn't do much good anyway, he figured. Not many people came closer than ten feet to him, unless he was among friends and neighbors, all of which were mostly sordid drinking buddies. Besides, if the mask hadn't been washed in a month, and he was probably less sanitary than a diaper by now. Hey, Mabel, he shouted through the mask. Since you know everything going on around town, you wouldn't happen to know who stole my boat, would you? That piece of junk, she said. Actually appalled that someone would put that thing on the water and expect to live. Of course, she shouted back and pointed her crooked finger. Look behind you. A rusted out 1988 Ford pickup backfired as it slowly chugged its way down Front Street, the driver waving as he went by with Mitchell's rackety old boat in tow. Mitchell fumbled for words but managed to toss up his middle finger just in time for the driver to see. He... <coughs> He nearly fell off the, the park bench, but caught himself and ran out to the road dressed in his trailer park best. Hank Manley, you son of a... Hey, watch your mouth, Mitchell, the preacher shouted as he exited the barbershop. Nobody appreciates that kind of language, especially at this hour of the morning. Mitchell jerked down his mask, thought about shouting a few coarse words toward the preacher, but thought better of it. He'd had enough bad luck without half the town congregating on Sunday to pray for his downright ruination. Hank could only be headed up to one place if he had the boat in tow. He was on his way to put it in the water for a day in the sun with a line in the water and a few cold ones in the cooler. Mitchell had to work had his work cut out for him if he was going to find his boat on South Holston in time for what, what he hoped to be the first annual bash in memory of his dog. <clears throat> he loved that old mutt. So much it even slept in the doghouse with him on more than one occasion. He couldn't claim sobriety on many of those nights, but his heart was in the right place, and he didn't even mind the odor. The worst part about the entire fiasco pained him. About this entire fiasco pained him like a knife in the back. Other than his dog, Hank was his best friend. <clears throat> They'd laughed and played video games and drank beer together since they were in their late teens. He went to his first Kiss concert with his buddy. Both dressed up in full leather and face paint like Gene Simmons. And now that very same friend had stolen his boat right before the great white trash COVID bash of 2020. It was enough to make him cry a puddle. But he sucked, up, sucked it up instead, and since the last thing his grandpa said to him was that crying was for sissies after his cousin Booger shot him in the rear end with a pellet gun when he was 12. <clears throat> he literally rubbed some dirt on the wound because of the old saying, it didn't work. His mama took him for a tetanus shot later that week. No, sir, this isn't the time to sit around and play the victim, he said to himself as he gazed into his dirty bathroom mirror. I'm going to go right down to that lake and find my boat and get some answers. Since Hank still wasn't back at the darn, uh, back, uh, since, <laughs> God, excuse me, since Hank still wasn't back and it was darn near dark, Mitchell figured he'd likely be out fishing all night. Night fishing was the best. They'd been on many a night fishing excursion in his rusty old boat. He climbed behind the wheel of his old truck, looked around the trailer park. Odd, he thought. Looked like a ghost town around here. He had invited everyone to the event tomorrow, every single neighbor, even the grouchy old woman that was still wearing hair rollers in the year of our Lord, 2020. 
fussy little thing still listen to Creedence Clearwater Revival loud enough to, for half the trailer park to hear it, mostly because she was hard to hear. She cussed a lot and was still emotionally living in the 70s, bless her heart. Even she was gone today. He glanced down at his phone to make sure that he had the right day, that he hadn't missed out on his own party. But he was right. It was only Friday. He had a few hours left to find his boat before they all got together down at the water the next morning. Darkness came as fast as his sadness. He felt heartbroken. His best friend would steal from him. He even doubted that anyone would show up for his party. Here he was by the water, suffering from a real case of the blues. Mitchell sat hiding in the cover of darkness in the camouflage tent that he had since uh, tent he had had since he got tossed out of the Boy Scouts. The scorching heat of the day had stuck around well past nightfall, and he was sweating his behind off. He sat for hours, chewing on beef jerky and taking power naps on the shoreline near the cove. He and Hank liked to fish in when they were out all night. Every time he'd fall asleep, he'd wake himself up snoring, or he'd be jolted back to life by a giant mosquito finding one of his soft spots, making a meal out of it. He'd killed more bloodsuckers on him tonight than he ever figured he'd spotted uh, he'd spotted up with bite marks for days, and figured he'd be spotted up with bite marks for days from the vicious little savages. He really regretted not bringing bug spray to the stakeout. When he woke up the next morning, he could barely hear the faint sound of a boat approaching. The muffled sound of Franny, the neighbor lady with the hair rollers, shouting his name, Mitchell, wake up, you sot, you drunk. Not really, he confessed. I only had three cold ones left at the trailer to bring with me. Wait, wait a second, he pinched himself to make sure he was actually awake. Franny, where did you get a boat, he asked. She was idling just offshore from the campsite and shut the engine off because she couldn't make a word, make out a word he was saying. What, she shouted. Where did you get a boat, he yelled back. This belongs to my son-in-law. He comes from money. But I don't tell many people that. Him and my daughter never come to visit me at the trailer. They don't want to get their Tesla dirty up in there. Hold on, Franny. Nature's calling. What? She shouted as she watched Mitchell disappear behind a tree to do his business. He strutted back out to the shore a couple minutes later like he owned the place. What are you doing out here? He asked. Looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. We figured you'd be there for your own party, but you're late. Why are you out here, Mitchell? He looked down at his watch. He'd fought sleep all night to catch Hank in the act and find out why his best friend stole his boat, but he'd failed. He figured he must have fallen asleep not long before dawn and had laid there, snoring like a bear, until Franny found him. He had overslept for his own party. I'll pack up and head on over to Observation Knob. I'll be quick about it. We ain't got time for that, Mitchell. You're late. Franny tossed him a rope, a life jacket, and floated over a wakeboard. I ain't never skied before, Franny. What the heck am I supposed to do with this? She shouted for him to hurry his ass up, but only used a little bit more colorful language to motivate him. Mitchell strapped the jacket on, tossed his shoes off, and slid his feet into the bindings without bothering to take off his dirty socks. He stood on the board, nervously clutching the handle of the surf rope and struggling for balance when Franny decided to kick the sport boat into high gear. She tore out of the cove so fast that Mitchell felt like his teeth had left his teeth behind. He was halfway out of the cove before he realized he was actually skiing. His heart began to race, and his adrenaline surged so hard that he thought he was going to pass out. He stared out across the lake in fear as she picked up speed and throwing obscenities back at him. Mitchell wanted to cry, but he was too scared. That's when he hit a wake from a fellow lake traveler, a pontoon boat speeding along that crossed their path. He saw the wave coming, and uh, he held his eye, closed his eyes for dear life. It held on. The boat skipped into the air. And a split second later, Mitch followed it airborne. He landed on his bum, still clinging onto the rope with every ounce of strength he had. She kept up her speed and headed straight toward the waiting crowd in the distance. Mitchell was spinning around on his backside and trying not to throw up when he noticed that his shorts were clinging to his ankles. 
By the time he found his balance and brought the board back under him, he was skiing across the lake with reckless abandon, bearing all the good Lord gave him. They sped past Preacher Kyle, who was out on the lake, enjoying some afternoon fishing. The last thing the man expected to see was Mitchell flying by, mostly naked except for the sleeveless ACDC t-shirt he was wearing. The group of 20-somethings in the next boat over were more than happy to shoot the moon right back at him as he skidded by, screaming at the top of his lungs. Before Mitchell could pass out, he felt the boat throttle down, slowing the pace. He watched as they cruised into the party of boats, a full hour late for the festivities. Franny was kind enough to pull the rope and help him into the boat so he could put his shorts back on, but not before all of his neighbors managed to take pictures and video of him struggling out of the water. No doubt that would be all over social media for everyone around town to laugh at. Hey, buddy, catch, Hank said as he tossed over a cold one for his friend. Mitchell looked stunned, like he had just walked into a surprise party. Hank stood at the front of the new tin can boat. The new tin can boat. One much newer, no rust, and a brand new motor. There were two new fishing poles on it and a brand new cooler to store sandwiches and drinks. A pink flamingo yard ornament was super glued to the helm like a mascot standing on lookout for the biggest fish. The name Rusty was painted on both sides of the boat. After all, it was bad luck to have a boat without a name, and Mitchell couldn't have thought of a better name himself. We all pitched in to get this for you, buddy. It's been a rough year, and we all know how much that old mutt meant to you. Hope you don't mind, but I had to trade in your old boat for the upgrade, Hank said with a sloppy grin on his face. Mitchell was speechless. He looked across the faces of all his neighbors, half of which were still chuckling and seeing him, at seeing him naked. I ain't got the words, he said, and started crying. Oh, Lord, Mitchell. Stop crying. Rub some dirt on it, you son of a bitch, Franny said, tossing a few more salty words into the mix. Everyone started laughing and went back to their 80s hard rock music and got onto the party. Hey, that's South Holston Blues. I had to fit that into a certain number of words to fit into the book. But hey, the, the fun of writing a short story never ends, pal. I'm just going to toss this out there to you. I'm I, With all the people that listen to the show, I'm curious how many of you actually write. Have you ever thought about writing a short story? What kind of creative things do you do? Love to hear about it. Drop me a line at cyrus.alderwood at gmail.com or recommend somebody as a guest for the show. You can always follow me on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. And on Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Gonzo Barry Dick. That's the Gonzo Chronicles Facebook page. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. I hope everybody uh, got a laugh out of the story. I'm not exactly the best orator when it comes to reading. But damn, I'm no communist. How about that? <laughs> thanks again, everybody. I'll be back soon. I will see you on down the road.